As parents, it's hard to imagine adding more to our plates on a daily basis with errands and things to remember, doctor's appointments, especially for the 22Q parents out there. I can't imagine having to do double the work. But for Chris Madrigal, this is a daily occurrence. She is blessed with two lovely little girls, twins, who both have 22Q. And on today's episode, she shares her journey with us, her struggles and triumphs, and how she was able to find peace once she became a life coach, and reminding all of us that we need to take time for ourselves. So I am honored to introduce you to Chris. Hello, and welcome to the 22Q podcast. My name is Becky White, and today we have Chris with us. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. This is so, so exciting to be here with you. It is really exciting to have you. You're the first 22Q mom I've ever met with twins. <laughs> yes, Tell I me about that. Many. Yeah, I honestly don't know too many. I am connected with two other moms in the world <laughs> with, that have um, twin girls with 22Q. And I found, I connected with them through the um, 22Q Family Foundation. So outside of those, I don't know any others. That is amazing. I wonder, and I hope I'm able to connect you through this podcast with maybe a few more that are out there. I'm sure they're out there. So any twins out there that have 22Q, let us know. Thank you for being on. I can't wait to hear your story and can't wait to hear about your girls. So please introduce yourself, introduce your beautiful family to us. Awesome. So I am Chris Madrigal and we are a family. We live in Northern California. I have an incredible family. Um, I have an amazing partner um, for the last 20 years, Americo, and soon we'll be married for 15 years. So that's exciting. Our son, Giovanni, who is 13 now, wonderful human being. And he has been the best big brother to Celeste and Alexia. And then, of course, we have Celeste and Alexia, who are our 22Q twins. So tell me everything. Start. Let's start at the beginning of your story. Oh, as far as my husband and I, you know, we had our son. He was almost two when Celeste and Alexia were born. So we still had um, a little one in the house. We decided we wanted to, you know, grow our family. Uh, twins were a complete surprise to me. They don't run in my family. They do in my husband's. But, you know, to me, it was a complete surprise. Being that it was a twin pregnancy, it was considered a high risk. That then sent us to different um, medical providers. And that's where we started to learn the different things that were happening in utero that led us to that diagnosis eventually. So tell me about that. Tell me about when they're in utero and like, what was like the first indicator that something was going on? I was maybe about um, four months pregnant when we went to a special ultrasound and it started where the girls had a pelvic kidney. So that was basically where one of their kidneys did not ascend to the proper area where it needed to, to be. They said it could be something, it could be nothing. A lot of people have pelvic kidneys. They don't even know about it. The, oh, and then they also noticed that there was a single artery um, within their umbilical cord. Again, it could be something, it could not. 
but we'll just see. We went to the next follow-up, which is where they um, noticed that they both had a congenital heart defect. They sent us to cardiologists. So we went for a second opinion. He saw the exact same things and he said, but let's not wait here. Let's send you for a third opinion. And that was at the Stanford University here in California, um, the Lucille Packer Children's Hospital. Once we were there, they confirmed, you know, got the third confirmation. Yes, this is what it has. My care was in transferred there. So all my uh, providers were in the Sacramento area. Going to now to Stanford, to Palo Alto, meant two and a half, three hour drive. And um, it was there where they brought up this idea of 22Q. And have you ever heard of it? No. And I had just gotten the, um, I'm not remembering. I remember the process because they put two needles (laughs) in my belly. So they had just done that for genetic testing, um, another type of testing, and they were able to test for 22Q. And that's where we learned that all these anomalies that were happening were due to the 22Q diagnosis. So you found out in utero. I did. Wow. That's I did. What were you feeling when you got that diagnosis? Honestly, by the time we got confirmation, I already knew in my heart that it was going to be that. Because everything that they were suspecting, you know, um, the kidneys, the umbilical cord, the heart, the multiple opinions, everything was coming back confirmed. It was so helpful to know that we can now say this is the reason why these things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. You had an answer before they were here and you're also in the best place possible for them. The first question I think that parents have is, why are all these things happening? And then to be able to say, this is the reason, and then move forward from there. We are so grateful. We were at an advantage that so many other families do not have. We had the advantage of knowing months before they were born, but it allowed us to somewhat mentally prepare for their arrival, even though you're just not going to know what's going to happen. Tell us about the birth and that first year of life. What was it like for the girls? Did they have any operations or complications? Tell me about that. The birth was so hard on me. First of all, carrying twins is so hard. I can't Um, imagine. The pregnancy was smooth, if you want to call it smooth, right? But we get to the point where I'm here in the Sacramento area. I'm going to deliver my girls in Stanford, which is two and a half, three hours away. My OB tells me, you're going to have to move and you're going to have to live there at least one month before their due date. Fortunately for me, my brother and sister lived in that, you know, in that area and my in-laws lived in that area. So I, that's good. And so I had a place to stay. I kept saying, nope, I'm not going to go. I have my one and a half year old at that time. I'm not leaving my husband and I'm not leaving my child and uh, a high risk pregnancy with twins. I, um, I was put on bed rest, obviously. Um, I had a two story home. I had to live in the bottom floor. Every time I try to sneak up, you know, when no one's home, you know, walking up backwards and all the things, I would end up in the hospital. Every, any little thing would trigger contractions. Finally, my OB said, look, if you stay here, 
you run the risk of going into labor, which means we have to airlift you to Stanford, which means that you are putting your children at risk at that point. That hospital is ready and prepared for when your daughters are born, if they have to be taken into open heart surgery. Right. Okay. They scared me. I left a month before. It was so hard. It was so hard. One, not being with my husband, not being with my child. So I did take my son with me the first week and I took someone to help me care for him. But that first week I was there, I ended up in labor, you know, in the hospital in labor and delivery being monitored for hours. I again got in trouble and they said, no, you can't be doing anything but sitting there. The day came, you know, my family was all there. It was a scheduled C-section. Okay. It was hard. I mean, I felt fine the entire time. If you ask my husband what it looked like in the delivery room, he would tell you differently. Apparently I lost a lot of blood. I had to get two blood transfusions. I didn't even realize that in the moment they had to make him step out. You know, the girls were delivered. They took him away. I barely got a glimpse from them. They started working on me and the doctor was just like, you know, I've got one more trick up my sleeve. If not, we're going to have to do a history. I honestly, my thoughts were on my girls. I wasn't really even focused on myself. I felt good. So I know it was, you know, God, you know, my angels looking out for me because mm-hmm. I felt okay in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, hours later, I don't remember at what point I was actually able to see my girls. They were in the NICU the entire time, but um, <laughs> that recovery it was so hard on my body because I didn't have time to rest. Who can rest when you have a toddler and twins oh and gosh. you're like an overload, anxiety, overwhelm, scary, everything. How long were you in the hospital for you? I'm a a person of faith. God was with me and was with us the entire time. I packed my bags thinking I was going to be in Stanford in that area for at least a couple months. I didn't know. I had my girls. My stay was about five days. Celeste, who has the bigger heart defect, she was in my room two days later. She needed me to be in the NICU. Alexia stayed one extra night after me. I think it was five days later. We all came home. Oh, good. That was like miracle number two, you know? Right. (laughs) But it was scary. Like, how am I going to take these fragile children? And that's what I considered it, you know? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And you can't lift anything because you have a C-section. You can't lift anything. You're not supposed to lift anything. (laughs) I had a C-section as well. So I understand, but I don't fully understand because I didn't have twins and a toddler running around. So I can't even wrap my head around that. Was that a dark time for you in the sense of just feeling like you're drowning? What was that like for you? Overwhelm is probably an understatement stress. I mean, you've got all these things just crossing your mind, like everything from is my child even going to make it? I think that was, that was probably the hardest part, just trying to manage my mind around everything that was going on. I had a wonderful support system. I do work full time. I worked full time up until I, you know, I went out. My husband has worked part time since we had, you know, our first child and between my father and my husband and myself, I mean, we did it, but it, it's almost a blur. Uh, there was days where I would look back and I said, 
how the heck did I get through that? Cause mm -hmm. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. I think you're almost running on adrenaline and Absolutely. all these things that yeah. you don't know. You're just focused on them. Yeah. So let's, let's rewind. Tell me mm -hmm. about your girls. Tell me about their health. How was that first year of life for them? You had mentioned their hearts were a concern. Okay. So my girls, they're, they're amazing. They're resilient girls. They have gone through um, so much in their short life, you know, more than others will go through in their entire life. And so they are happy individuals and they just love to spend time, you know, with family and friends. And I've got Celeste, she's my little sidekick. She wants to be everywhere, willing to go everywhere with me. Then I've got Alexia, you know, she's more of a home body. And if it doesn't involve hanging out with family and friends, she prefers to stay home. They are my warriors, if that's, you know, how I could describe them. That first year, it was a ton of medical appointments. Yeah. So trying to figure out which specialist, you know, they got cardiologist, urologist, pulmonologist, neurologist. The first year, Celeste at two months had her open heart surgery, did her recovery. Amazing. Exactly a year to date, Alexia had her surgery. Get out. Um, unplanned, you know, just, it just wow. happened that way, but they are mirror twins. So if you put them face to face, it's as if they're looking at themselves in the mirror. And so Celeste has a left kidney. Alexia has a right kidney. When it came to their surgeries, there was an artery that was looping in one direction for Celeste, which was now causing almost like a ring around her esophagus. So they had to correct that. When it came to Alexia surgery, I asked about that and they said, oh, we didn't need to do that. It was looping the opposite direction. Even from when their teeth came out, it was the exact opposite tooth that was coming out. Wow. You know, their hair, one parts to the left, one parts to the right. Wow. So those things to add into the fun, if you will, has just been interesting. Wow. So what was their heart defect? Celeste has tetralogy of the low. So it was more complex. She needed that surgery sooner than Alexia. Alexia had an ASD and a VSD repair. So two large holes. They're doing phenomenal. Celeste, I think her visits are now like every two years, but Alexia was like, okay, don't come back in five years. And then that freaks me out. And I'm like, no, I'll be back in three. And then we had a urologist just to kind of see what is going on with this pelvic kidney that never ascended to where it was. They went through a whole bunch of testing. The pelvic kidney never fully developed and the body self absorbed it. It disappeared. Oh my gosh. That's wild. <laughs> the human body is wild, right? Yeah. Now they have one and it's a healthy kidney. Uh, we still watch it obviously, because just by default, by them having one kidney, you know, it just puts them at another um, level, if you will, of having to watch it. They also see a pulmonologist because since they were so small, when they had their open heart surgery, the surges just being in there working on their heart, it appears that they scarred their lungs a little bit just by touching in that area. So oh, that has led to multiple cases of pneumonia. Every year they get pneumonia. It's recurrent. And when I asked, really came back to that lower area of the lung, 
has a little bit of scarring and that's what they attach it to. Is that going to continue throughout their life or will they eventually get strong enough when they get older to hopefully not get pneumonia every year? I don't know. That's one of those unknown getting the flu shot, doing everything we can on our part has helped. Now I will tell you, they have a really hard time just with the nasal piece of like blowing your nose. And so when they get the common cold and are not able to fully drain their sinuses, guess where it goes down to their lungs. How have you dealt with them getting the common cold and and all of that? I know I asked because when talking to other parents, I know a lot of us suffer from, you know, post-traumatic stress when it comes to our kids getting sick, because we know it's going to take them a little bit longer. How is that for you? Fortunately and unfortunately, their recurrent cases of pneumonia have allowed me to really stay on top of it. I don't want to say I panic or anything, but I think we all do. You know, I make sure that I use the oximeter and just measure their oxygen. It's a common cold. Hey, if I have to go to urgent care, I go and they tell us what we have to do and try to stay ahead of it. Fortunately to the recurrent events, we're able, I'm able to detect if it's starting to develop into something more, unfortunately, because it's been based on the recurrent events that have happened. Right. Right. And what other challenges are they facing now? You know, or did they face, you know, OT, PT, speech, all of that. All of that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 As far as therapies, we've done a whole lot of them. The main ones, you know, the physical therapy and the speech therapy, they're still doing both speech therapy through school. They've been in physical therapy since they were 18 months. We did take about a two, maybe three year break. And they went back last year after an x-ray detected a little bit of scoliosis. And so we are just trying to stay ahead of it. I am the type of person that um, I'm not going to wait for things to get worse. When I am told, no, I still continue. They got a little bit of scoliosis and I was told there's nothing you can do about it. Just have to sit there and wait until it gets worse. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, I'm not going to do that. Patient there, a little bit of occupational therapy that was more through school, um, swim therapy, therapeutic horseback riding, feeding therapy, vision therapy has been a life changer for them. How so? I've never heard of vision therapy. Tell me about that. Oh my goodness. Okay. When they were in third grade, that's where we started to notice more of the gap developing between their peers. You know, the content starts to starts to get a little bit harder. And with that came anxiety. We were trying everything and the struggles were still there. I have a friend who said, Hey, I took my daughter to vision therapy. And she said, you should try it. And I made an appointment. I don't even know how to explain it to you, but it was therapy that allowed their eyes to be more in sync with what they were, um, what they were seeing. Okay. Let me try to give you some examples. Okay. So they did a test where, um, you know, they had to read from a textbook. And as they're doing this, whatever their machine testing system follows their eyes. And we were shown the piece of paper and it said, look, this is a text and these lines reflect where their, their eye movement. And when you look at that piece of paper, it's like you are seeing scribbles all over instead of a straight line across. 
And the doctor told us, look, if they are having a hard time retaining information, if they're having a hard time with certain concepts, think about it. Their eyes are not moving along. So they're, they're not retaining, they're not processing the information properly. So that was one of those, um, one test, for example. And the doctor said, they're not going to be able to tell you that because that's how they've seen all their life. So right. that's normal to them. The other thing had to do with um, kind of uh, maybe like a double vision type thing. And we had one. So Alexia, when you see her, when you would see her run, she would just run like, like gingerly, like real cautiously. And it came back where it's like, well, there's a little bit of a double vision. They said, so imagine if you are walking and you don't see your surface flat, are you going to run with confidence? No, because things look uneven when you are on the monkey bars. Do you see the next bar or does it look like a little bit double? Oh, it looks a little bit double. So how can she properly assess where the bar is going to be if in your mind, you don't know exactly where it's at? So through this vision therapy, it was basically to strengthen their eyes and get them to coordinate properly. And did they eventually get there? Yes. And I will tell you for the first time, they brought home straight A's with IEPs, of course, but they're there. Yeah. The reading, they can retain it. Reading levels, you know, are a little bit lower than the grade. I don't care. Right. They're going to read at the pace that feels right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we, we push them, but that's what has helped them continue. Yeah. But vision therapy changed their life completely. Yeah. And it makes you think if only every kid could at least get assessed for this, any little kid can't really fully tell you these things, especially like you said, if it's what they've been seeing their whole life, they don't know anything different. Wow. That Mm -hmm. is incredible. Thank you for sharing that. And what other challenges have you faced with school and IEP or any suggestions you have for other parents that are going through this and navigating the education world? When it comes to, to their education, we had all the support we needed. That's great. And this year, being the first year where they had multiple teachers, I would make it a point to meet with their teachers before school started. Make it a point that it's a partnership between the parent and the educator. And I've always told them, you are the expert in your field. I am the expert of my child. We do this together. What I did this year is I sent a one-page document to other teachers. It's like a little bio. It almost looks like a resume, it said, you know, meet Celeste and Alexia. And it had a description of their diagnosis and it had a description of how they learn best, a little bit about 22Q, how they can support us, my contact information, my husband's contact information, and making it very clear that this is a partnership that we're in. And it had a picture of the girls and they each put a little quote from themselves because, you know, they're old enough to do that. And I emailed it to every one of their teachers and we got a great response on it. That is wonderful because it's not adding another zoom meeting for the teachers, but it does give them an overview of your girls. Yeah. And it's amazing. And I created this template and I'll be happy to, to gift it to any of the parents. I'll send you, I'll send you a link for that. 
I would love for you to share that so I could put it in the description and it can be linked to your website. That way they can find it and find you. We went to the UC Davis um, Mind Institute to the 22Q Clinic. Well, Zoom, I should say, because we were in COVID at this point. (laughs) They did a full psychological, physical, everything evaluation, just a long appointment by Zoom and all that. So they came back with really high anxiety, social anxiety, and just um, general anxiety. They were able to help me and say how that anxiety was then extending into the school system, anxiety of being called for answers in class or not having answers. So all those different things, they helped me make that connection. I then reached back out to the school and said, I have this evaluation. How do we now try to see if there's any gaps and how we can better support them? But they, they were able to then run some additional testing on their end, which or revealed some other areas where they could get some support. So even that helped. That's good. I'm glad to hear that things are going well and, and you really covered your bases on what they needed. And then also just being proactive. It's a combination of the teachers and the principals at those schools who, um, at the elementary school, the principal there for the majority of their education had children with different needs Mm -hmm. as well as the current principal where they're at now, Mm -hmm. you know, so they have the principal is the director of the special ed program now. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's a different level of understanding when they're tied a little bit closer to it. Absolutely. Yes. I had one other mom mentioned something similar where when you have someone that can relate to your child, and be as sympathetic as you are with your child, it's totally different. It's a game changer. And can you tell me what has been the biggest struggle for you navigating your daughter's 22Q? I would say managing my own mind, managing my emotions and everything tied to that as far as my struggle personally, because as parents, we don't want to see anyone struggling. Then we get into our own mind and all the unknowns and all the what ifs. Managing my mind has been mm-hmm. the hardest part mm-hmm. for me. And what do you do to manage your mind? <laughs> it's so interesting you say that. They're 11. And it wasn't until the recent couple of years, maybe, that I really had to sit back and say, I need to take care of myself. Like, what about me? Because I got to a point with the overwhelm, the stress, you know, the, the kids, the job, the, how do you try to keep a marriage alive with all this craziness, everything. And at the end of the day, I wasn't taking care of myself. So what I did, in all honesty, is I started to do life coaching. I started to get a coach for myself. And then that developed into me now being uh, a life coach and a transformational mindset coach and helping mom. That has helped me manage my mind. It has not only changed me, but it has changed my relationships. And what I mean by that, by me taking care of myself and putting myself first, I am able to show up for others in a much deeper way. The best part of the whole thing is that the only person that has changed is me. I'm the only one that has changed, yet it has improved all my relationships. 
And by improvement, I mean, I can show up as a little bit more calm with my children. Not always, obviously there's no perfect, but not always. No, 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 far from it, but I'm doing better. And all I had to do was work on myself and put myself first, which is why I'm so passionate about helping other moms Mm -hmm. in that journey. Yeah. What was that final straw that made you pick up the phone or email a life coach? I didn't like how I was showing up in life. Yeah. I was very irritable. I just didn't like how I was responding to others, primarily in my own household. Right. With my kids, with my husband. I didn't recognize who I had become in that process of overwhelm and burnout. I would say COVID amplified that even more based on my my job. I am a human resources professional. I've worked for a Fortune 500 for the last 17 years. And so the HR world was hectic. Yeah. I, I was a hot mess. And while I had started my journey of coaching, that was a point where I was like, no, I want to work closer with someone. We don't value ourselves as much. Like we're not willing to invest in ourselves. We think about it so much. But at the end of the day, if we don't do that for ourselves, then who is? It's definitely changed my life. Good. I'm so happy you were able to find coaching and it seems like you really enjoy it, which is wonderful. I do. How is your family and friends? Do they, are they aware of the girl's diagnosis? What are some of the big struggles that you face that you, maybe your friends and family don't know? Friends and family, they all know. I've never been shy about this journey with them. I'm like an advocate of my girls and I am just, am not shy about it. The things that I would say family and friends don't know or may not know is what life is really like behind closed doors. The day-to-day stuff, very different dynamic today than their earlier years. I just don't think the family and friends really ever understood or would be able to understand what it entailed. Mm -hmm. The therapies, the different things, you know, when they would get sick, the behind the scenes that the only person that would understand would be my father because he has been in it since day one. Mm -hmm. My father comes to my house every single day, picks up my children and takes them to school because they go to school out of district. He's been the most involved aside from us angel sent from heaven for us. Not every family has that. No, I recognize that. And what advice do you have for other parents listening? (sighs) Take care of yourself. Be open to all the different therapies that are recommended. And I would say really have a vision for what you want for your children. And then how do you want to show up as a parent? What type of parent do you want to be? Think about that. And then step into that version of you as that parent. Mm -hmm. Great advice. And don't do it alone. And don't do it alone. I did it alone for a long time. And it's not easy. Not at all. And if you could go back in time to when you got your diagnosis for your girls, what would you say to yourself in that moment? Knowing all that you know now. Put yourself first. Put yourself first. That is the one thing that I would go back and tell myself. Because as a mom, 
we are all very, very guilty of putting everybody else ahead of us, especially our children, making sure they're all taken care of. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's almost like part of motherhood. But there is a component to that when you are a parent to a child that has a variety of needs where if I really could go back and redo it, I would put myself first because only then would I be in a better mental state, kick butt even more. (laughs) Right. Right. And what have your girls taught you? Resilience. Yeah. We can get through any obstacle. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to know how, but we'll figure it out. You will figure it out. Yes, you will. Chris, thank you so much. Chris, thank you for sharing your amazing twins with us today. And I hope we are able to connect you with even more twins out there who have 22Q. And for anyone who's interested in being on this podcast, you can contact me at 22QPodcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to subscribe and share this podcast with those that you care about. And never forget, 22Q family, that you are not alone.